0: Okay, we're gonna read from God's word. This is Ephesians chapter four. Uh, We're back where we started um, six or seven weeks ago um, in this passage in the middle of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're gonna begin at the first verse and read through to verse 16. This is God's word. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers... Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And ending at verse 16, the Lord will bless his truth to all our hearts, for Christ's sake, we ask it. Amen. Christmas is coming. And I can, with fair degree of confidence, predict there will be gifts, okay? Which is great, but it can also mean disappointment, okay? And that you don't always get exactly what you were hoping for, okay? To avoid disappointment, you could always do what one of my children does, which is every time a birthday or Christmas is approaching, about three or four weeks in advance of it, you will receive an email. The email will list a number of options for Christmas presents, okay? But not only will it give options for Christmas presents, there will also be links in the email to online shopping centers from which you can purchase the exact particular form of the gift that this particular person is looking for. I guess I don't need to tell you which one of my children it is. And and this is the way to ensure no disappointment at Christmas or birthdays, okay? Okay. I remember being disappointed one Christmas because amongst the things my wife asked me, like she does every year, what was there anything you, you would like or anything that you need? And one of the things that I mentioned was a beard trimmer. Okay, it's not a big deal present, all right? It wasn't my main present, but, but she was gonna buy me one. And I specifically said to her, get me a rechargeable one, okay? And when I opened my presents on Christmas Day, yeah, there was a beard trimmer there, but it was battery-powered, and I thought, this is useless, this thing will never do the job. Okay, so anyway, I had a grumpy face on. And uh, so later on in the day, I put the batteries into it, switched it on and tried it. It was truly unbelievable. It was so good. It was everything I didn't expect it to be and everything that I expected, the other thing I had originally said I wanted to be. And I had to eat humble, humble pie and later in the day say, thank you. Because sometimes, even though the gift doesn't look exactly like what you want, it turns out to be even better than you had expected. We've been considering these last few weeks that Jesus gave his church gifts. And to be frank, the gifts are pretty weird. Okay? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. They're pretty weird. You know, if Jesus was going to give us church gifts, why didn't he give us all the resources we need to run all the programs we think are required right now? Okay. Uh, or, Or why didn't he give us limitless numbers of people to be in the worship team? You know, or why didn't he give us all the kind of uh, buildings that we require without us having to spend millions of pounds to construct them. Why didn't he give us gifts like that? Why give us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? For one thing, probably until a few weeks ago, you were only aware of pastors and teachers. You, you weren't even aware of the other three. And for another, Jesus didn't give his, gift, his church gifts in the way that we might normally expect he didn't give us apostolicity and evangelism and, and prophecy. He gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. He gave us people. You and I are his gifts to the church. We've been learning that. So take a moment, look around you. You're looking at the gracious gifts of God. My name is John, you all know that. It was the name my parents gave me when I was born. My parents were Christians who lived to serve the Lord. And I have to assume that they thought about the name that they gave me They didn't Google what are the top 10 most popular boys' names in this particular year. It was 65 years ago. There was no Google, so they couldn't actually do that. But there were books that you could look in that gave you names and told you what the names meant and and blah, blah, blah. I assume they didn't do that. I assume they gave me that name because it meant something to them. What I do know is that before my parents had me, my mum miscarried So when she was delivered safely of me, they called me John, which comes from a Hebrew name, which means Yahweh is gracious. To my parents, I was a gift from God to them. And they treasured that gift. And they called me John. And isn't that how we should look at one another tonight? Every single person in this church is a John. That may not be their actual name, but that's who they are. Yahweh is gracious. Every single one of us is a gracious gift of God. That person beside you right now, behind you, in front of you, on the stage, in the pew, all those people are the gifts of God to this church. And that means that that person beside you is either an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, or a teacher. And therefore, it's vital that this church discovers who you are and lets you take your seat. But that still begs the obvious question, doesn't it? Why these five, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Why these five? In that passage that we read, where we started this series seven weeks ago, in that passage, Paul says that Jesus gives those five so that this church might, first of all, look like Christ. Jesus, you see, is the perfect example of every title and every role that the Lord has given his people. John Newton, 18th century slave trader turned Christian minister, put it like this in one of the songs that he wrote. Jesus, my shepherd, husband, friend, my prophet, priest, and king, my Lord, my life, my way, my end. Accept the praise I bring. Every title, every role that we are called to occupy within the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect model of that role. And by giving people to his church as apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, Jesus is enabling his church to manifest his presence. That's why these five, these five enable us to manifest his presence. Paul says this is the specific purpose of the fivefold ministry of the church. They are given, Paul says, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God never meant the church to give fleeting glances of limited aspects of the beauty of His Son. We're inclined to content ourselves when we manage that, you know, if in some way we do something that shows the graciousness of, of Christ, we, we kind of feel, well, that was good, or, or we show something of the power of Christ when we pray for somebody and they get healed, or, or we show something of the generosity of Christ when we take what we could have used for ourselves and give it away, we think, well, well that's really good. But God's intention was not that we would be like a portrait painter, you know, who captures some aspect of a famous person. We know this person. And we see the way that a portrait painter has painted them. And we say, oh yes, that's just them. And yet we know it's not just them. It captures some aspect of them, but not the whole picture of the whole person. And a portrait painter would be pleased with that. Yeah, you, you got that. You, you got that part of that person so well. But God had a much grander vision. He gave the church and gave to the church these five roles so that the church might be the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The church was meant to give the whole whole picture And to do that, he needed the five. and he needed the five in particular proportions. Paul said in those verses that we read, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it." Do you know what that means? That means not a single person in this building tonight is here by accident. Not one of them. Because it's not just that we need the five, but we need the five as Christ has apportioned them to us. We need them from the point of view of his perspective. The proportions that reflect who he is. Now, I know you may find this very hard to believe if you know me, but I did GCE O-level art. and Not only did I do GCE O-level art, I actually passed it, Okay? And one of my projects in O-Level Art was a pen and ink sketch. And to me, the biggest challenge of sketching was always perspective. Somehow or another, I could never get it quite right. No matter how hard I tried, that somehow or other proportions weren't completely right. The perspective wasn't correct. But my friend Greg Mitchell was absolutely brilliant. One day on the back of an exercise book in class, he sketched the house in which there lived a girl who had gone to the primary school that he went to. And she lived in this house and he drew me this sketch. He said, this is the house that she lived in. And one night I went to a house to leave my girlfriend home. That girlfriend who became my fiance and who is now my wife, And as I came to the house to leave her home, I realized I've seen this house somewhere before. Where have I seen this house? It was the house that my friend Greg drew in the back of an exercise book in school in in second form or something. I can't remember exactly when. And he had drawn it so well that that night when I was leaving Christine home for the first time, I realized this is the girl that he obviously fancied a primary school and whose house he drew on the back of the exercise book in class. He had it just exactly right. The right proportions, the correct perspective. Maybe we wouldn't choose to assemble this group of people that we have here tonight, but somehow or other this set of people are Christ's gifts to us so that we can look like And if we can release everyone to manifest the five, we can become the image of Christ that Newton Abbey needs to see right now. And don't you think that if he has arranged this group of people, according to the proportions of his will, his perspective is likely to be better than ours. We need the five because without the five, we cannot live like Christ the five in the proportions in which he gives them to us. That's how we look like him. Then the second thing is this. He gives us the five not only so we can look like him, but secondly, so that we can submit to him. Why apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers? Well, because these five people share one great thing in common. When they are active in the proportions which Jesus the Lord has given, then Paul says, we grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head. That is Christ. You know that every action you take, everything you prefer, every opportunity you miss, every choice you make, every skill you exhibit, every desire that you feel, every ambition that you chase, all these things and so much more are the result of a body that is governed by a head. Your brain is just 2% of your body weight. But that brain has 86 billion neurons and every single one of those 86 billion neurons connects to at least 7,000 other neurons in your head, which means that the brain of a three-year-old child has about one quadrillion synapses. I don't even know how many knots one quadrillion is. That's what it takes to coordinate the life of a three-year-old, which my granddaughter Elle will be, God willing, on the 19th of November. One quadrillion synapses in her lovely little head just to manage her three-year-old life. So what kind of mind must it take to coordinate the the worldwide body of Christ, which in 2015 was 2.3 billion people? The mind that can do that is the mind of Christ. And, that, and the point is that where you have the five, you have people who want to know that mind. It is his voice they want to hear and to his vision that their hearts thrill and their lives respond. In January coming, I will be 40 years in ordained ministry. And I am so tired of so many leadership meetings in the life of the church. Why? I couldn't tell you how many I've sat in. Session meetings, committee meetings, presbytery meetings, general assembly meetings, meetings of committees of one sort and another that I've spent hours of those 40 years in. And I've got so tired of them because everybody in the room seems to think that they're there to give their opinion could you tell me of what value is anyone in the room's opinion or my opinion about the leadership of the church of Jesus Christ when none of the people in that room are the head and there is only one head and that is Jesus Christ. We are not gathered in rooms to try and argue about one another's opinion. We are in the room for one reason and one reason only and that is to try to hear what it is God is saying and once we hear what it is God is saying to get out there and do it. That's what we're there for, to lead other people and to encourage them to join us. This is what the Lord has to say and this is what we need to do. Our opinions of absolutely no value whatsoever. And I'm tired of it. And we'll never be the church that we're supposed to be unless we come to realize that's why Jesus gave us the five. Because what is the distinctive feature of the five? They're only interested in what the head has to say to the body. Jesus is the head. And Paul exemplifies this in his own life. Paul was a member and a leader in the church at Antioch. It tells us in Acts chapter 13, now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. I kind of love that list. Do you notice something? Paul only makes the last name on the list. What kind of a leadership team must that have been where Paul only made the last name on the list? And I'm thinking to myself that if that leadership team walked through the back door of this church right now, the very first person to go to see them would be Rick Hill, and he'd be saying to them, look, we're writing a strategy for this church right now, and I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Could you come along to a meeting with the rest of my team on Tuesday evening, and we could have a listen to you, see what ideas you've got, tell us what you think about what we're doing. This is the leadership of the church at Antioch, the first missionary church in the history of Christianity. If they walked through the door tonight, we'd want to know what they had to say, but that wasn't what they did. When the church at Antioch sensed that it was a moment for action, that somehow or another there was something that God wanted them to do, but they didn't know what it was. What they didn't do was sit down and have a meeting and see what everybody thought. Not the church at Antioch, because we read while they were worshiping, The Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Nobody spoke at that meeting except for the Holy Spirit. None of these people were the head, not even Paul. Christ was the head. So they waited on him for a decision because that's what apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers do. They wait to hear what it is that the head wants. I have three different vinyl recordings of my favourite piece of classical music, which is Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto Number no. Two in C Minor. Each of those pieces of music was recorded as an orchestra played the identical score. They had the same pieces of music in front of them, the orchestras in each case, though different orchestras were composed of roughly the same proportions of strings and woodwind and brass and percussion. And yet every single one of those recordings is completely different. And those recordings are not different because the woodwind section or the string section or the brass section or the percussion section of the orchestra decided to do something different. They are different because each of those three recordings had a different conductor. And it was the conductor who took the abilities of the team of musicians in front of him or her and interpreted that piece of music in the way that they felt was the most expressive of what had been written originally. It wasn't the sections of the orchestra, but the conductor who made that happen. It's not what we think. It's what the head says that makes the difference. That's who we have to listen to. And it's not our opinions that are of any consequence, only what he says. When the church gathered in Jerusalem to settle the biggest question that was before it, as the Gentiles pressed into the church, which had originally been entirely Jewish, and Gentiles were coming to believe in Jesus. They were getting converted. They were coming into the church. They were bringing with them their families and their friends. And the church was growing at a phenomenal rate. And the one big question that the church had to answer was, what are we going to do about circumcision? Circumcision was the, the marker in the Old Testament people of God, of those who were in and those who were out. What are we going to do about this? Gentiles are not circumcised. What are we going to do? And they gathered in a large group in Jerusalem. They talked about this. And they arrived at an answer to the question. And when they arrived at the answer and started to tell everybody else what they had decided, they described what had happened, that they came to the decision that they came to. And here's how they described it. They said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. God spoke. And they all heard his voice. And they embraced with all their hearts the radical call that that voice had made. And the reason why we need the five in the church is because apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers listen for the voice of God and submit to what that voice says. We need the five so that we might look like Christ, but we need the five so that we might submit to Christ and we need the five so that we might work for Christ. People who think I am too busy and there's loads of them about this church are always telling me that what I need to remember is that God loves me because of who I am and not because of what I do. Okay, and they're always saying this to me. And what that actually means, of course, John, is that, you know, you can slow down a bit. You don't have to do all this stuff. You know, you're not, God's not gonna love you anymore because you're killing yourself. So, you know, blah, 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 okay? And, and I know that there is a truth in what they say. Long before I knew what gifts or calling would be on my son's David, my son David's life, long before I felt the joy and challenge that he would bring me, Long before I shared experiences with him and long before any of that took place, I held him in my arms and carried him from the delivery room in the hospital in which he entered this world down to the ward where his mom would feed and care for him until they both could come home. Who he was, our son was more important than anything he would later achieve in his life. We loved him for who he was and not for anything that we could foresee or not foresee that he might do in the future. And if that is true of me, an imperfect parent, how much more is that not true of the living God, our Father? Who we are through rebirth in the Spirit is the most important thing about our lives. It is our true identity. Not the nation we come from. Not our sexuality, not our job, not our wealth or our poverty, and not even our sin. The most important thing about us is who we are through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus Christ. But... Even though all that is true, and even though maybe I need to pay more attention to it than I do, the church is not a monument. The church is not just something that is. The church is an organism, it is a movement, it is a catalyst, it works. Paul says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Carn money has these specific people, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, because they enable carn money to do something. And without this doing This church cannot really make progress. Paul says, again in Ephesians 4, from Christ the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. God didn't call us into the church to vegetate. He didn't call us in here to sit on a sofa, you know, and think about how brilliant it is to be a Christian. He called us into the church because there are things we need to do. He's on a mission and he invites us to join him on that mission. And herein lies the challenge each part has work to do and we need to honor each other's work. There is a great temptation for apostles to think that prophets are not up to much and for evangelists to think that pastoral people are a bit of a nuisance. And for everybody to dislike the teachers because they're boring. That's what we do. We kind of think what we are is more important than what the others are. And yet what we're being told here in this passage is that we have to honor all five. We have to honor one another for the things that God has called us and equipped us to do. The movie Hidden Figures tells the story of the black American women who formed the computational team at NASA Uh, during the Mercury space program. In those days, there were no computers as we know them now. The computers were literally human beings. They were bright, intelligent, black American women who formed a team that did all the necessary calculations for the space program. And and obviously, they were black and they were women, so there's a huge amount of prejudice against them on both counts. And there was a long fight for them even to get in the room where the decisions were being made. But when their leader, Catherine Goebel, finally does get in the room, in spite of the prejudice and resistance, it is she who comes up with the mathematical equation which solved the problem of space capsule reentry to the Earth's atmosphere. She's sitting in a room. Of people who have graduated from all the Ivy League American universities, engineers, highly paid individuals, she's sitting in the room with them and she comes up with the equation that solves the problem. And when John Glenn's re entry from Earth orbit back to Earth got in trouble and his own life was hanging in the balance, from space, he radioed through to the control room in Cape Canaveral and he said, Go and get Catherine Goble and get her in the room. And it was she who, in the room on that day, when Glenn's spacecraft was about to re enter the Earth's atmosphere and stood the possibility of burning up in space, taking his life, because she was in the room at that moment, his space capsule successfully re entered Earth's atmosphere and Glenn's life was saved. She had a job to do. Her job was every bit as important as everybody else's job in that room. And The reason why we have five is because it's one of the ways by which our Lord teaches us to value and honor one another. Because each of us has a contribution to make to what it is God has called us to do. And without each other, we cannot do it. We need you all in your seat Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers because there is work to do and it can't be done without you. I was preaching the same message at Central this morning because you know they were in the same ser- series except we did it opposite ways round. And I was there early and set up my laptop and chatted to people And then I was kind of over in the corner, just kind of being quiet, thinking about what was coming up. And uh, an individual, a man came over towards me to speak to me. And uh, he said his English was poor because he's a Syrian refugee. A Syrian refugee family came into Central about six or seven months ago. You know a little bit about their story and, and how we walked with them and how eventually they were allowed to stay in this country. And uh, that particular family, the husband and wife, the husband had a brother and two sisters in Syria, and he thought his brother was dead, Uh, until one day he got a phone call a few weeks ago to say that his brother was in Belfast. And uh, he brought his brother brother to Central and and he is temporarily at the moment being allowed to stay, which is a miracle because he had been captured by ISIS and he'd been in an ISIS camp and working for them. And normally, if you enter the UK as a refugee and you've got anything to do with ISIS, you're straight back out the door uh, before your feet touch the ground. Central prayed for him and he's been allowed to stay. And there he is in church, okay? And he comes over to me today. Do you know why he came over to me in church? He's only been there for a couple of weeks, but he realized he'd never seen me before and he thought I was new to the church. And with his really broken English, he, he, said, he said to me, your, your first time? Your, your first time? I said, no, I've, I've been before. Oh, oh, okay. He said, right, I, 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 I no see you. I no see you. I said, no, I'm, I'm Dave's dad. Oh, Dave's dad. Dave, my brother. You, My father. And he gave me this massive hug, okay? And, and in really broken English, we attempted to have a conversation for the next five or 10 minutes about his situation. His two sisters live in a village. They're Kurds. They live in a village that Turkey has just invaded. He doesn't know very much about them. Until a few days ago, he didn't know that they were still alive. And here he is at a church in Belfast in broken English, welcoming me to the fellowship. Hey, everybody taking their seat. Everybody taking their place. Everybody fulfilling their role. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He gave us the five. Because without the five, we cannot look like Jesus. Without the five and the proportions in which he has given them to us, we cannot look like him and without the five, we cannot submit to him because that's the common feature of these people. They're not interested in their own opinions or anybody else's opinions. They're only interested in what the Lord has to say. And without the five, we can't work for him. We need every single one of these roles and ministries if we're going to achieve what God has called us to achieve in Kern Money Church. We need to honor one another. We need to get to a position where we we look down on no one God has given to us. Where we honor them and encourage them to take their place. And then we begin to see what God called the church for. Do you want to see the church be the church? Do you want to win this generation? Do you want to see this society changed? Then we need you to help us be the five. We're gonna send out an email later this week. It'll contain a leaflet that has some information about each of these five rules and summary that we've been talking about. It'll give you a link to a website where you can do a test. It doesn't take very long to do. There's a free test, and then there's another test that costs $8. So you can do either of the two, all right? The $8 one gives you a bigger printout when it's done. The test will tell you when you've done it, whether you're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, or teacher. And it'll it'll give you some idea of what's the top one, okay? and then what's the second one, and then what place are the other three in? Because you you will exhibit some element of all five, okay? But there'll be one of the five will be up there, and then there'll be another one second to that. And Those will be the two key things in your life, okay? I did the test during the week. Apostle came first, and evangelist came second, okay? Teacher came last, which is a little bit disappointing in the light of my (laughs) current role, okay? But anyway, there you go. Uh, So... Anyway, you can do the test, and you can find out who you are, but here's the thing, okay? It's interesting to do the test, and the printout you get gives you a little bit of information about what your characteristics are likely to be and, and how you might be able to work for God, okay? And all of that's really cool, and it's really, well, I find it interesting, but I'm geeky anyway. You might not even be turned on by this idea, but you, you, if, you, if you get the email from us every Friday, the information will be there, and you can do it for yourself, okay? If you do it, and if you find out, I'm not saying the test is like, you know, infallible, but it's a guide, Give you some idea what role and ministry God is calling you into. Here's the point. There's absolutely no point in doing the test. In fact, don't bother to do the test unless once you do it, find out who you are. You're ready to take your place. We need you in your seat. We need to be the five.